I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Will and I'm here with my two friends Anna and Ant. Hello. Hi. We are talking about the year 1531 and I'd like each of us to give a three-word preview of what we're discussing today. Anna. My three words are scholars, murderers, toads. (laughs) (laughs) Good. That's pretty joyful. (laughs) Mine is definitely correct pronunciation. Oh, God. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Preparing myself mentally for this. (laughs) You should. Big promise. And mine is dirty ice ball. Ball, B-A-L-L. B-A-L-L. Okay. Like a dancing ball. Like a dirty ice ball. (laughs) (laughs) I, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Easier this week, I think, with 1531. <laughs> yeah, it was It was nice to be back to a time when there was much more recorded history. Yeah, I, proper I, history. Yeah. I am sad to know that there's no Chinese history happening at this time. <laughs> yeah, this, this was in China's great uh, thousand-year yeah, silence. Yeah, yeah, silence. Yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> the so, bit we haven't yet Googled on Wikipedia <laughs> that didn't happen. I like to think that the history of these places doesn't exist until we get that year on the podcast yeah. and then it just comes up. Wait, are you one of these people that thinks that we're living in a simulation and that like we're <laughs> yeah. all NPCs and it's just you existing and you're creating history? I think a simulation wouldn't have so many podcasts. Will, she knows too much. A <laughs> <laughs> simulation if, would not if, have this many podcasts. If past events haven't been podcasted about, are they yet history? Oh my God. <laughs> Jeez. It's blowing my mind. She, who's first? Wow, man. <laughs> Get your your dirty ice ball ready. Let's go. Okay, I'm going to talk about Halley's Comet. So who? Halley. Is it not Haley? 
Yeah, we right. definitely said right. Haley. Okay, fine. We're going to go straight into this. So <laughs> I had a whole bit on this later, but we're just going to deal with this. Okay, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry. We've got to get it out of the way. Okay, so there is a band called Haley and the Comets, something like that. Okay, sure. Which uh, has popularized that pronunciation in okay. recent decades. Okay. Uh, the guy who we're going to talk about later. Yep. Spoiler alert. He's called Hallie. <laughs> that guy okay his fine. name is pronounced hallie but there does seem to be oddly uh, despite the fact that he is an individual it's always called hallie people do seem to somewhat um swap between hallie and Haley for the comet yeah but, but he is called hallie the comet is named after him uh and therefore i think it's fair to say the comet is called hallie's comet i think we should ask the comet what yeah. it prefers <laughs> I am looking forward to what you're going to replace for your ending there. So you got to start writing this real quick. Okay. Um, and, and, and I am justifying talking about this comet because it appeared in 1531. Uh, yeah. And that is enough of a reason to talk about mm -hmm. it. So I don't want any challenge on any of that. And um, something, um, uh, and, and I also am slightly concerned that I might be vulnerable to the criticism that this comet, Halley's Comet, is not a patriotic enough choice. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 to be clear i think since it was named after a britain i mm. consider it basically to be a, a 15 kilometer long peanut shaped piece of cosmic britain <laughs> <laughs> hurtling through space and time with pointless abandon <laughs> so there and uh, oh. for, for those who don't know halley's comet or comet halley uh, or as it's officially designated 1p slash halley Oh. Or mm -hmm. the United Comet of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a comet, so it's visible from Earth every 75 to 79 years. And the main reason it's so famous is that it's the only known short period comet, so that qualifies as a short period comet, that is regularly visible to the naked eye. And the one that is, and uh, because its period is so short, it means that it's pretty reliably visible during mm. most people's lifetime at some yeah. point. Or sometimes, if you get, if you get it right, twice during your lifetime. Yeah. And so, for those facts, because you can see it with the naked eye, and because you're pretty much guaranteed to, guaranteed to see it, and because it's the only one that meets those criteria, like unsurprisingly, it's the most famous comet. Uh, but um, it's unclear exactly when it was first spotted, uh, but it might have been recorded as early as 467 oh. BCE Ooh. because a comet was recorded in ancient Greek in ancient Greece that year and then was also there was one that was also recorded by Greek uh, by uh, Chinese chroniclers so oh, probably okay. that hmm. was that was yeah. um Halley's comet cool and it last appeared in a 1986 yes mm -hmm. which kind of sucks for me and me and me and all of us because yeah. we all happened to be born that year and uh as, as into astronomy as i now am <laughs> yeah <laughs> after I, reading about it for one week no i've i've always been okay um, hugely into you love cosmic now that you know that there's yeah there's, yeah. there's, there's bits of the uk out there yeah <laughs> well i've always harbored intentions of uh conquering con conquering mars <laughs> uh, and i'm on the record for that uh, uh, in that regard uh, but, but uh, yeah I, I guess none of us really appreciated it in 1986 no. uh, because well it, it came before any of us were born i believe Did i it? think it was okay. in february of that year uh, it doesn't matter okay. what you believe and, <laughs> okay can anyone guess when it will be back hold on let me just do some quick 75 maths. years okay, okay, first of all i want um ants to guess okay 1996. Not just, just early. Just going early. In, okay. <laughs> just, Hang on. You're saying it will next appear yeah, he's said 25 it. years ago. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I great. stand by it. I'm going to say. My math is great. Uh, 2015. 
52. That is incorrect. Am I close? You're, you're the closer than 1996. I, c- I can't do math that fast. So you win. Yay! <laughs> You've won the quiz. Uh, the answer is 2061. 2061. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I should have known that because I'm already planning my 71st birthday. And can anyone do the maths on whether we will have got oh. through all the podcast years by then? <laughs> uh, we will. Uh, wait, no. Sorry. 2061, you said? Yeah. No, no. We'll be two thirds of the way through. Oh, two thirds of the way through. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I've done this You've math. Done if we do one a week, taking two weeks off for the holidays, so 50 a year I'm we have 3,000 years to cover so yeah. it will take us 60 years to cover it all alright that adds mm. up and then we'll start over and start sharing a second fact that we've learned <laughs> about every year <laughs> Although I, I, I suppose now uh, with board members being able to hijack the randomly number, random number generator, mm. that could we could end up getting to double years, Oof. going back to years. Well, we'll have to take it up at the next board meeting. Yeah, we'll we have to raise this. Yeah. Uh, we hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> Unbelievably. Anyway, please, no more maths. <laughs> yeah, please. Okay, right, please, no more, God. Yeah, sorry, no that more. was upsetting for us all. Uh, so uh, while it appeared in 1531, which is the year we're interested in today, it wasn't until 1705 that the astronomer... Edmund Halley spotted it and critically he didn't just spot it but he was the guy who worked out that this comet that had appeared throughout history intermittently was the same comet Mm. repeating which uh, wasn't obvious to anyone else before that and so because he was able to do some maths on he he hypothesized it was the same comet he did some maths on therefore on its orbit therefore and then predicted when it would be back and uh, therefore it wasn't until the next time it would reappear that everyone was like oh right yeah Halley said it would be back yeah, yeah. let's name it after him now huh. uh, so that's kind of okay, why it was, um, it was called Halley so actually when it was seen in 1531 it wasn't actually called Halley's Comet it was just like oh look a comet and <laughs> um, oh god an omen we're all gonna die yeah. right exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and much later during its 1986 visit to the solar system the inner solar system it presaged the arrival of three podcasters <laughs> <laughs> who would revolutionize the medium <laughs> <laughs> as, it has been foretold yes <laughs> as as documented on the podcast tapestry yeah 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 um and um halley's comet was then because it was it arrived after the dawn of the space age then the first comet that could actually be observed by satellites and by spacecraft and so it provided that first ever modern observational data of what is a comet mm. like is it uh, a big ball of rock or is it kind of like an icy thing and there are a bunch of hypotheses about what it might have been constructed of and there's specifically a dirty snowball hypo- model uh, which predicted that Halley would be composed of a mixture of uh, volatile ices so water and carbon dioxide and ammonia and dust and just in a big icy ball and that mm. is actually what it is made of mm. Mm. you wouldn't out. want that to freshen up your drink you would not want it to freshen up your drink <laughs> a dirty snowball does sound like a, a, a cocktail. great cocktail yeah yeah, yeah. Or and, and although it does, it, and it also supported what's and then uh, something that has been further supported by more recent evidence in the last few months, which is that much of the water that appeared that is on the Earth comes from these comets eventually sort of hitting the Earth in the hmm. early stages of development. Interesting. So, um, but anyway, that's another story. So uh, there have been a bunch of other famous sightings. So in 1066, it appeared. Oh, and chroniclers naturally linked it to the Norman invasion and everything that was happening at the time. Uh, and they <laughs> there you go. You managed to get something about Britain in <laughs> cosmic and terrestrial Britain. And um, it's, it's obviously therefore features on the Bayer tapestry. Yeah, oh. like everything else that happened that year, but mm-hmm. it's basically on the yeah, Bayer tapestry. Yeah. And 
Fun fact. Here's another fun fact for you to, to end with some maths again. Oh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in 2134, okay. by which time we will have gone through all our years twice over. Yeah, several yeah, cycles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it will be at perihelion and we'll pass uh, through... About so I've got the number here, zero point zero nine two astronomical units. So an astronomical unit, for those who don't know, is the distance between the Earth and the Sun. Ninety three million miles. Yeah, okay, you uh, might you might then be able to. I don't think that's is that true. Pretty sure. All right. How far is point zero nine two astronomical units from Earth <sighs> in kilometers? Nineteen ninety six. I think it's also 1996 1996 two answers it's a draw yeah the the answer is nearly 14 million kilometers from earth but which will be very very close so when we see that when when the future robot versions cyborg versions of ourselves see that in 2134 glorious uh, who are still podcasting? That will be a beautiful <laughs> sight. So, is it, like uh, you said, a word there, perihelion. Thanks. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Have I? Oh wait, no. I'm sorry. You don't know what it means. Well, I think it means it's closest point to Earth. Point. Is it? Should we quickly? Yeah. Like... It's a point in the orbit of a body circling the sun that is closest to the star. So yeah. Wait. So it's gonna be the closest to the sun at the perihelion. Um, so an apsis is the farthest or nearest point in the orbit of a planetary body. The apsides of Earth's orbit and the sun are two, oh God, the aphelion where Earth is farthest from the sun and the perihelion where Earth is nearest to the sun. Okay, so that must be when it's nearest the Earth then. Okay, cool. Uh, do we think it's going to actually collide with the Earth at any stage? Is yeah, it like, is it sort is of it, like is slowly it, it, getting it, um, closer? No. Is it... <laughs> Is it in retrograde, which is another term I've heard? Mm. No. Is it not in retrograde? <laughs> I'm going to start like, stopping space terms. Like, it, look, I think I think a lot of people when they think uh, they think about these things orbiting around the sun are want there to be some kind of catastrophic story because mm. they've they've Please. been very influenced by the films of Morgan Freeman, Bruce Willis, uh, <laughs> other other people Tom who are Cruise. making films. Not Tom Cruise. Will he hasn't Smith. made one of these yet. Um, Tom Will Cruise Smith has definitely made disaster movies. Not about a hot not asteroid. an asteroid or, movie. A, or a meteor comet. <laughs> okay, I don't know where to start on that one. Oh wait, that was Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was Keanu Reeves, who in my mind is the exact same actor as Tom and, Cruise. Sorry, do you think at the end of Speed the bus gets hit by an asteroid? I think or is that the bus Sandra the Bullock and Tom Cruise hit the boat with the bus. Oh, I God. think, or is that? Am I confusing I, two movies? I think we're going to have to cut all of this out of the podcast. <laughs> Also, an asteroid is not a comet, but that's a whole other True. thing. Uh, well, there you are. Very Thank cool. you for listening to my story about Halley's Comet. A comet that appeared in 1531 was like discovered more about a couple of centuries later and yeah. then finally named after the guy almost another hundred years after that. That's what I said. <laughs> that All right. is so tentative. The board will not be happy. They will not be happy. Um. Well, I'll see if I can make up for it a little bit and appease the random number generator by talking about things that actually happened in 1531. Although, of course, I am going to talk about things that also didn't happen then. Square. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I have two stories today, uh, two short stories. One is happy and the other is bloody. Mm. So something for everyone. Uh, I'm going to (laughs) start with the happy one, which is about Timbuktu. 
Yes. Um, I've always been interested in Timbuktu. Uh, if you remember last week, I said, oh, I have an idea. It's because I've been wanting to talk about Timbuktu and we've just haven't ever quite gotten close enough. But 1531. It is famously far away. <laughs> it is famously <laughs> far away. Uh, 1531 is kind of like bang in the middle of its golden age. Um, and I, I don't know if you guys feel the same, but I've always felt that Timbuktu has these kind of mythical qualities. Like it's, you know, as far as Timbuktu, um, in fact, I have like vague memories of being shocked to learn that Timbuktu was a real place and wasn't like mm. Atlantis um, and that it's in Mali, present day Mali, right. um, which is, I think, just great. Um, so Timbuktu's golden age was during the 14th to 16th centuries, reaching a height right around the time we're talking about. It was a center of scholarship where sh social status was based not only on wealth, but also on literacy and ability to interpret Islamic texts specifically, um, which I love. I would have been so rich because <laughs> I can read. <laughs> um, uh, millions of books were written there, at least in part because the dry air made for perfect conditions for the paper and the bark that the books were written on. Oh, interesting. Yeah, as contrasted to the sort of wet, humid European climes. That's why they had tapestries. Yeah, exactly. They had to sew their books um, or paint. <laughs> I'm not actually sure what the tapestry is made of. Um, books had this almost mythic reverence in Timbuktu and libraries were symbols of wealth and power. People had individual libraries and the bigger your collection was, the more important you were. I'm just going to say it. They, they sound like a bunch of nerds. <laughs> they were. It was paradise. <laughs> dry nerds. Dry, dry nerds. It was great. So they had, you know, thousands of students, including people that came from surrounding cities and tribes specifically to study. Literacy was really high. It was, yeah, it was they came there to paradise. study slash not be bullied wherever they came from. <laughs> Specky little gits. <laughs> um, there, is that a thing? I'm British. <laughs> uh, there was a roughly contemporary Sudanese proverb that says, salt comes from the north, gold from the south, and silver from the country of the white men. But the word of God and the treasures of wisdom are only to be found in Timbuktu, which I really like. So that's the happy story. Timbuktu. On to the blood. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep, at this point, Timbuktu is located within the Songhai Empire, which had defeated the earlier Mali Empire. And then the Songhais had coalesced around the capital city of Gao, with Timbuktu serving as the kind of intellectual hub of mm. the empire. The source of Birmingham <laughs> to <laughs> the UK's London. Sure. <laughs> What's the American version of that joke? Um, Tallahassee. Tallahassee. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, something like that. Um, are we going to do that, Jake? We gonna, let's do that. Let's do it. Um, the sort of Tallahassee to America's Washington DC. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the Songhai Empire was very profitable because it controlled the trans-Saharan trade routes over the desert. Uh, and for more than a century, it was one of the greatest empires in African history. It controlled this huge swath of land in the, in the Sahel. So present-day countries like Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, and it even reached over to the Atlantic coast. Um, 
And I want to talk about this, uh, this particular dynasty of rulers of the Songhai that were responsible for the Songhai's highest height, highest highs, <laughs> their highest Songhai's and, and lowest lows. Uh, and that's where the blood comes in. So it started with a man named Askia Muhammad, who took power from an unbelievably cruel ruler in whose court he had served. No, no, I believe you. <laughs> I mean, this guy, like some, uh, who knows what was true, but the the guy was not a good man. He burned a lot of books. Let's just Oof. say that. Um, so, but Askia Muhammad was not violent, and he brought the kingdom of Songhai to sort of new heights. Sorry, it's too many high high puns. Uh, <laughs> he, he brought the kingdom to new Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Heights. He undid a lot of what the the violent his violent predecessor had done. Um, Askia Muhammad brought scholars back to Timbuktu. Uh, he established diplomatic relations beyond the empire. He encouraged loyalty among the people that was so strong that it sort of transcended religion or mm. tribal heritage. Uh, we love this for him. Great guy. <laughs> So, uh, when, so by bringing scholars back to Timbuktu, yeah. does that mean he encouraged them to come there because of the ability for them to study in such perfect dryness or, <laughs> yeah. or that he was like forcibly going out and catching them like that character in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang that people are like weirdly okay with the, the existence of that, that character? What was his name? The guy who goes and captures children. It's yeah, just like yeah, it's in yeah. a children's film and it's terrifying. Oh my God. Yeah. Have you seen this film? No. Okay. Awful. It's terrifying. Yeah, that sounds horrible. Which of those two options is it? Um, it's, <laughs> it's the former. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the, the previous guy, whose name was Sunni Ali, had um, burned all the books and told the scholars to leave Timbuktu because he just like didn't believe in learning. Mm. Um, which My we, man. Yeah. <laughs> so Askia Muhammad... Uh, encourages them okay. to come back and says, I'm not going to burn your shit. What's the opposite of a brain drain? Is it like a brain suck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> generated a brain suck yeah. in Timbuktu? Yeah. <laughs> that is how it's referred to in the historical okay. record. The old brain suck. Yeah, the great brain suck of 1528. That's um, how Cambridge University refers to that. <laughs> Attempts to create a cluster around them. <laughs> but um, Askia Muhammad had 37 sons. Uh, and as we've learned from previous notables on the podcast, including Abbas the Great of the Safavids, uh, sometimes the more sons you have, <laughs> the worse. Uh, it's a little harder to figure out succession. Can I, can I ask there a question about his other children? 
You can. We know he has 37 sons. Yes. Do we know how many daughters he had? No, they. why oh, would we okay. bother to count the Isn't women? Isn't that awful? It is awful. It might exist somewhere. Um, it is not mentioned readily because obviously we only care about the sons because it's of the bad, succession. It? It's I bad. Do, we don't really care about the 37th through like the, you know, the fourth son. Yeah. If you're in that bucket, no one cares about you either. Really. That's true. That's true. But at least you get counted. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Like the Prince Edward or onwards, <laughs> no one cares about, do they? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so basically, Askia Muhammad rules for decades, and he's reluctant to relinquish power to any one of his sons. But when he's around 70, he goes blind. And according to tradition, and maybe also law, it was a little unclear, this disqualifies him from ruling the kingdom because he wouldn't be able to lead armies into battle. Or read. Or read, which yeah. is a big thing. Um, and it was also seen as a bad omen. Um but to make matters worse, he hadn't delineated a clear line of succession. It's not just sort of automatically son one was going to get it. So this leads to a lot of infighting and skirmishing amongst the 37. And one of them was named Musa. And he was described as an impudent and stupid boy. So you know he's going to get yeah. the throne. <laughs> uh-huh. He deposes his father in a bloodless coup. Oh, that's good. Nice. And that's about the only thing that's bloodless yeah. in his reign. He killed several of his brothers and, quote, between 25 and 35 of his cousins. So wow. we're off to just a great start with Musa. Uh, unsurprisingly, he's an absolutely terrible ruler. There's basically not a day of peace in all his time on the throne. Uh, some of his other brothers notice that he's maybe not the greatest king and they decide to do something about it. So in 1531... They impeach him. They, <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have a very sedate proceeding in the court of justice. No, no, they band together and assassinate him. Okay. okay. Yep. yep. Reasonable. And Standard. in the chaos, the throne is seized by one of Musa's unmurdered cousins, uh, <laughs> a guy named Mohammed Bankana. So now this guy is the nephew of Askia Muhammad, the really good guy. Hmm. And this guy, Muhammad Bankana, wants to secure his position. He's worried that the original Muhammad might come back and try to reclaim the throne. Because even mm. though he's blind, he's still alive. So he banishes him to an island in the Niger River, which was described as a place infested by mosquitoes and toads. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> Well, if there's an equilibrium between the toads and mosquitoes, they, yeah, might, they yeah. might be fine. You think there would be a nice like predator prey cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You also just never really hear about things being infested by toads. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, toads are usually a really positive yeah. thing, aren't they? In terms of their presence. Well, not on this island. Blessed with toadful. Is the, toadful's the phrase. <laughs> it's a really it was a really toadful island. Yeah. <laughs> um but uh, just to close this out a little bit, in a bit of poetic justice, Mohammed Bankana ends up being deposed also and then he also goes blind uh, oh. so you know he's bad bad things come to those who are bad um <laughs> and basically unfortunately there are there follows just decades of unrest and strife the songhai empire pretty rapidly declines it's conquered by the moroccans in 1591 uh and the decline of the empire also brings about the decline of timbuktu as well which is very sad mm. uh, but hey at least for a time there were a lot of books in the desert <laughs> and 
It also led to this great joke that I'm sure everyone has heard, but uh, just in case. Uh, there was a poetry competition final with two contestants, a university student and an old country man. They each had 20 seconds to come up with a poem about Timbuktu. The student goes first and says, Across the desert sands, crossed a lonely caravan, men on, camel, men on camels two by two, destination Timbuktu. The crowd goes wild, cheering for the poem. The old country man then goes, Tim and I off hunting went, found some girls in a pop-up tent. They were three and we were two, so I buck one and Tim buck two. <laughs> so as previously mentioned, I would have been very wealthy in Tim buck two because of my extreme scholarly uh, literacy. That sounds like a terrible competition to, to, to be yeah. part of and to witness and then cheer. On the spot poetry. On the spot poetry. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thankfully, I don't have any poetry whatsoever. I do have a couple of quotes. Uh, but today, I'm going to talk to you about a very serious piece of history. Oh, God. And no, it is. Okay. It is, it is, it is. And before we begin, I've looked this up. And as per my three-word summary, I'm definitely correct. Okay. <laughs> so, no corrections. Right. But I'm going to be talking to you about the Schmackeldick League. <laughs> So hang on. Okay. All right. Okay. We could see. I mean, we let's. Should we just do the rest of the podcast on this? <laughs> so, okay. So 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 schmackledick schmackledick. Right. Can yeah. I get a spelling? You absolutely can. S C H M A L K K A L D I C League. Oh my um, god! It's the anglified version, actually, of the original German, which is the Schmackeldischerbund, <laughs> or the Latin Foidus Schmackeldickum, or Liga Schmackeldicke. Voigus <laughs> Schmackeldickum sounds like a horrible spell in Harry Potter. Yeah, it does. <laughs> a, a real curse. So now that we've got that out of the way. No, we haven't got no, that out of the way. No, we haven't. I, this will never be out of the way. I'm going to think about this for ages. I don't want to know any details about that. Because this is perfect as it is. <laughs> no, there, there, we need to learn more about the Liga Schmackeldicke. <laughs> it was formed after Martin Luther did his whole thing, the church door, the yeah. 95 theses. That was in 1521. Um, so Protestantism in Europe became more popular and more states now had Protestant rulers. And because the ruler could define the, the religion of the state they were in, a few of them then decided to get together and form a military alliance for mutual defence and support. Uh, mainly because they were kind of afraid of Charles V and the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, vastly outnumbered them individually. Uh, and the Holy Roman Empire was, you know, dead against anything that wasn't Catholic. Mm -hmm. uh, surprise, surprise. So in this mutual defense league, they were just going to be schmackling a lot of dicks There's mutually. So much mutual <laughs> schmackle deacon. Um, it, it started out kind of a basic voting block in the empire, um, just sharing beliefs and that kind of stuff. And soon came to have the aim of actually replacing the empire itself with a Protestant sort of rule instead. So that's quite, mm. you know, quite not not cool. Mm. Um, it was formed by Phil the First, Landgrave of Hesse. Hang on, sorry, he's actually called Phil. He's is he? called Phil the First. That's just hilarious. Just, he's Philip. He's Philip. But like you know, he's. I, I, I know, like, but it's still so funny when historical figures have such modern names. Like yeah. I'm still not over Geoffrey of Monmouth. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff. Philip the First, Landgrave of Hesse, and John Frederick the First. So we've got uh, Phil and John. 
Uh, Frederick the First, cool name, Elector of Saxony. Mm. That's what his name was. Nice. Uh, so to get into this, uh, uh, to, into the legal schmackledeeker, you just... <laughs> <laughs> you had to do the ritual schmackledeeking. Yeah. Um, but you also had to just be a Protestant and subscribe to either the Lutheran Augsburg Confession, in quotes, or the Tetrapolitan Confession. And so what a confession means is a writ or decree, uh, effectively a public manifesto in your belief in, in Christianity. Okay, so you have mm. to tweet about it. You have to tweet about it. You have to like pledge allegiance public. It's like liking a heart on Bebo, if anyone remembers that. It's a public declaration of love. Oh Nobody God. remembers Bebo. I have no idea oh any of the God. words you just said. Really? Do you remember Bebo? I've never been on Bebo. Oh, please, please somebody write in and defend me for making that <laughs> hilarious comparison. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, it's kind of interesting in the Tetrapolitan Confession is where we find the principle of Zwingalism appear. And so what Zwingalism is, and again, totally correct in my pronunciation, is that this is saying the writings, the Bible is paramount in belief rather than in the Catholic tradition, which is there's the, the biblical scripture, which is a lot of allegorical context, but also the descendants of John, which is the first, you know, Pope and down in the traditions, etc., building from that. Peter, the first Pope. Peter, the first Pope. Yeah. John, not the Pope. He was the rock upon which Peter nope. built. Peter's the po- Peter's the rock. Who's John? The Baptist. John the Baptist. Yeah. Yeah. Not not the same guy. Okay, fine. Yeah. Don't look at me. I don't know. No, like, this is <laughs> this is this is this is fifteen hundred years before this. Yeah. Anyway, so um, this is very much in contradiction to the Catholic Church, um, but you know it's 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 interesting how they interpreted God's will differently. Uh, so Phil and Fred formed this cool club. <laughs> Uh, it's not the first cool club. Uh, there was the League of Gotha, the League of Tortuga, and then onto this league, the Liga Schmackeldika. Uh, and its initial aim was to oppose the terms, the Edict of Worms. So the Edict of Worms or Diet of Worms, another sort of manifesto, which is another document from another council of priestly types. Mm. And Charles V, that happened earlier this year, that stated that Martin Luther was a heretic. Mm. And the quote is, we forbid anyone from this time forward either by words or by deeds, to receive, defend, sustain, or favour Martin Luther. On the contrary, we want him to be apprehended and punished as a notorious heretic as he deserves. So, uh, yeah. Strong words. Yeah, they basically wrote Martin Luther into their burn book. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The League did go on and it grew in size and influence. More people joined. And the reason it was able to do this is because Charles V was actually very busy with France and the Ottomans. And these kind of, these wars kind of went on in in, in fits and bursts until the 1571. So he couldn't really do anything to stamp this out. He's very distracted, fighting on several fronts. This allows Protestantism to flourish. And interestingly, in France, Francis I of, of the King of France was viciously stomping out Protestantism at home because it was a Catholic country, mm, mm-hmm. but at the same time sending aid and money to the Schmackeldicks as they had a common enemy, Charles V. So he uh. was completely uh, duplicitous in his approach towards Catholicism. That's so funny because if I remember correctly, when you did the Thirty Years' War, yes. France did that again. Exactly. Give money to the Lutherans at that point, even though to fight the 
Yeah. This actually ties in quite nicely in, in, in a bit. Um, so in about Stop trying to build on knowledge from previous episodes. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Every episode no exists in a box. <laughs> so about 1546, the war efforts with France and the Ottomans had reduced to a simmer. And so our good friend Charlie Boy could refocus his efforts on those pesky Protestants in the Schmackaldick War, as it was called. The League had the numbers at the stage. They had way more people... Um, but were fractured and there was incompetent leadership. They couldn't agree battle plans. They all had mm. opinions. There's lots of smaller forces with all equally important princes. Um, so they couldn't plan properly. They were really schmackled. They were really schmackled. <laughs> now. Um, Charles V's troops had half his troops as well removed by the Pope, who said, no, we don't want to have the civil war. But they still managed to defeat the League at the Battle of Melburg. It lasts basically this whole league concept, with, you know, this this Protestant, you know, joining together, lasted until the first battle and then completely oh. crumbled. So because well, they they'd spent all their time writing edicts and not yeah. like training <laughs> on weaponry. Yeah, where where is this roughly? Oh, sorry, yeah, it's it's Germany, ish, okay. Germany ish. You couldn't area. guess from the name of it. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no, okay, fine. Yeah, fair enough. Reasonable. Wow. Uh, so yeah, so. In this one battle, that then means that 30 or so towns and city-states and principalities instantly turned back into Catholic hands. They were now no longer Protestant states. Mm, mm -hmm. They were Catholic states, in theory, right? But you can't just change religion like that. Um, a lot of the princes and reformers, such as Martin Bucer or Bucer, who's going to come up, I'm sure, at some other time, fled to England and they helped with the English Reformation that mm. was starting up this time. So they spread their ideas there. Um, but sure, yeah, Charles in theory won, uh, but it was too late. Protestantism was entrenched in Europe. And actually three years after this, uh, after this war, the Peace of Augsburg or Augsburg or Asberg uh, was signed. <laughs> We've been through this before. <laughs> we have. And that was covered off in, in another podcast. And in the ensuing weeks, we did not confirm the pronunciation <laughs> yeah. of but it. But it, it allowed Lutheran Lutherism uh, as, as an official religion. And then, uh, yeah, so... This is the League of the Schmackledicks that I wanted to talk about. It's Would very, you... I mean, there's some very, very funny words in there. Yeah. <laughs> we did consider calling the podcast the League of the Schmackledicks. Yeah, that was but we... third on the list. Yeah, it? yeah, I think Sorry, so. Sorry, can we please call it the Schmackledischgebund? <laughs> that uh, was second the on the list. <laughs> um, fascinating. I love how you always protest that you're so sick of religion and wars in Europe, and then you always manage to find something else. There's always an angle. There's always an angle. Or is it angel? How do you spell that? <laughs> well, there you have it. 1531. So that's everything you're ever going to need to know about the year 1531. Tick. Uh, until we presumably at some point, statistically speaking, do it again, if we keep going for another 400 years. And before we move on to pick a new year, we'd just like to remind you that if you'd like to support the podcast, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash randomly history. And we'd also love to hear from you. So if you'd like to email in, you can always do that at randomlygeneratedhistory at gmail.com. Yep. Mm -hmm. There's also the Instagram, which oh, yes. there are some hilariously good memes done by the council. Yeah, we're really getting into memes recently. Yeah. So And also the Twitter as well, which I'm still not convinced I know how to use. But uh, <laughs> if you want to follow the podcast or right, follow good, us. Good use of terminology there. <laughs> Is that, what, what did you do? Tweet? Early, earlier today, oh, Ant right. tweeted at BBC Podcast. How do I do good podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I don't 
Hello. So it's great. He's a power user. I would training wheels are slow, but it's we're learning slowly. Uh, so yeah, join us there. And uh, in the meantime, time to choose our next year. I'm excited. Have we booted it up? Okay. Yeah, I will boot up the random number generator. And as a reminder, we've set the random number generator to choose a year between 1000 BCE and 2000 CE. And our next year is 1818. Ooh. Hmm. 1818. Okay. I think Good. that's yeah. our first 19th century year. Yes, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah it is for sure. I oh. think that's going to be good. That's going to be loads of stuff happening. Loads of stuff. Yeah, massive choice there. Not like one of two things. Where's Napoleon? Nap <laughs> oh, is Napoleon Al alive? alive? Alive. I think alive and on his island, isn't he? Oh. St. Kilda or is it St. Kitts? I'm just going to do like... El Elba? Elba. Or St. Helena, maybe. I'm just, just going to do an average Tuesday in the life of post-conquering Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> do, was his island particularly toadful? <laughs> well, I guess we'll find I out. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Okay. Until See next you then. time. See you next week. Toodles. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.